You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. Um, well, nice to be here. I know January, people are all over the place, aren't they? Sort of some are away and some are here, but it's great just to be together. And um, so I'm, I was really looking forward to being here with you this afternoon, and it's nice to um, be able to share the word with you. So I'll keep it fairly, I'm always scared about saying that at the beginning, but we'll keep it a bit tight for you, all right? Now, you don't know what that means really, but because um, it is fairly warm, but I think we're tough enough, aren't we? What do you reckon? Looking at Hillary, you're tough enough, Hillary? Hey? You're tough? Yeah, cool. All right. So feel free if you need to go and grab a, a water or something, you know, do that. If you want to tip it over the person next to you, feel free to do that as well. Um, I, um, I was just thinking, like obviously at the start of the year, when you're thinking about the church and certainly someone like Anna and ourselves, you know, we're thinking about what is God, where's God leading us? What is God saying to us? Look, I always like to qualify and say that's not unique to the new year, is it? Like every day, every week, every time we want to come and bring the word, we're always wanting to have a posture that says, what is God saying? What does God want to do? But there are times, aren't they, like, where they're kind of like checking points for us and it's just good to be able to just stop and say, okay, what's, what, what's this new season? What is happening now? And if I had to uh, sort of summarise that in a way, um, look, God took me, I think, to this chapter in Romans 12 and so I just want to share with you a little bit of that today and probably a picture that was with it. Um, I was sort of thinking about whether to bring this illustration in or not. I shared a little bit last week in, in Naranda. It'll be quite a different message in the end, but you know, I did share this little bit about like a greenhouse. Um, Chris asked me how I went in Serbia. It seems a long time ago, but one of the things that I enjoy doing when we drive around the place where I'm at in Serbia, it's sort of a, a rural area. It's a large city about three hours out of Belgrade and then we drive around the rural areas going out to the different outreach churches um, and it's been there a few years back with us and when I go out I just like looking at the agricultural land and seeing how different it is because they don't have like large properties like what we have they tend to have like family plots you know but they're fairly intensively farmed and so they grow a lot of vegetables bring them into the market and that sort of thing so it's still very serious it's not just like a hobby I don't think but it's like family plots that are there. And there are some parts where, because the temperatures are fairly extreme, hot and cold, but they get nearly as hot as us in their summer, but they get down to something like minus 20. If I'm standing in a bad spot, feel free to shift me or whatever. But um, so they get down to like minus 20, maybe even lower, but sort of, so it's a big range of temperature that they have. But what they're able to do is they, they have a lot of greenhouses. And I, again, I don't know exactly what seasons they put them up. I know they take them down sometimes and put them up at different times. But they have this, just like an archway, a metal, metal archway with plastic over the top. It's a pretty basic uh, greenhouse, but they're a fair size. And sometimes you'll see just a whole plot. You know, I'm talking about several acres, you know, just full of these greenhouses. And then I guess another family own another whole bunch of greenhouses next door. So there's certain parts where you can be driving through the country and there's just, you know, like, literally I'd say hundreds, I'm always careful not to exaggerate, but I reckon literally hundreds of these greenhouses there. And the ones that are close to the road, I'm looking inside, you know, as we drive past to try and see what's in there and there's fairly um, 
vibrant rows of plants that are in there. So no matter what the conditions outside, inside the greenhouse, they've got it set up inducive to growing what they grow. And when I'm in the markets, one of the things that they grow a lot of is cabbages. So there is a certain time coming into the winter where they get the cabbages and they put them in these big plastic kegs and they fill them up with like salt and I guess vinegar and other things, I don't know what it is, but they kind of preserve them and they put the lid on and they've got it full of cabbages. So through the winter, cabbage is a fairly important part of their, of their diet and their cooking. They, um, they also have a lot of tomatoes in the market. When you go to the market, there's a lot of tomatoes, things like eggs and that as well. But I guess inside the greenhouse would be these cabbages and tomatoes and perhaps a few other things. So anyway, it just makes me realise, I suppose, that, that you know, they, don't, they can't form a tomato. Like, they can't manufacture a tomato. It's not a factory, it's a greenhouse, you know what I mean? And, and the difference is that it wouldn't matter what... I mean, as smart as we are with all sorts of things that we do and all the things that we can make, my mind spins with how clever we get sometimes, but we still haven't been able to take you know, even a potato and make one. We haven't been able to take a tomato and make one. We haven't been able to take a cabbage and just make one. You know, what we have to do is we have to understand how they work and create the right environment for them to grow and flourish. Is that right? So I guess for me, I, I, where this is all relevant is I, I guess I get to these points every now and again where I say, what is it that I have to do? I believe it's trusting what God does. It's knowing that God is the one who works in me. You know, I love there's a scripture that says, and I didn't have it prepared to, to share today, but it says, it is God who works in us to do and to will of his good pleasure. Because I want to please him, and sometimes you can sort of take that on yourself as a burden. I've got to try harder. I've got to do more. I've got to, you know, feel a bit guilty and ashamed, so I've got to correct myself because I want to please him. But you know, what we've learned, and I hope that you guys have, kind of caught on to this, it's something that I think we preach on often and try to weave it into our messages, is that we have his favour and knowing that we have his favour, then we want to live for him, not the other way around. Well, if I do all the right things, he'll favour me. If I do all the right things, he'll be pleased with me. Now, I'm sure there are some things that we can do that please him and some things that we can do that don't please him, you know, because they're going to be harmful to ourselves and others. So I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about we as a person. He's pleased with us. He loves us. He delights in us. We, we often talk about that. And I hope that's really getting through because what that does is that turns it around from us thinking, I've got to, you know, fix myself. I've got to work on myself. I've got to do more. Uh, you know, to, to find his favour and to be able to be pleasurable to the Lord, you know, make him love me more. We know, don't we? There's plenty of scriptures tell us that there's nothing we can do to make him love us more. There's nothing we can do to separate us from his love. Romans 8 tells us that. And it gives a really, almost, you know, like a really detailed list of all the things that could possibly, we could possibly think would separate us from his love. And it says those things can't separate us from God's love. And so he loves us. We have his favour and we have his... Uh, and we, he delights in us. But what we can do is we can, like that greenhouse, you know, we can't work on ourselves as such, like do the work. We can't manufacture ourselves. But what we can do is we can trust what he's done in us and what he's doing in us, and we can create the environment, we can allow the environment by our willingness, by the posture of our heart, we can allow him to do what he wants to do in our life. That we can actually hinder or we can actually uh, facilitate, if you like, or enhance uh, what he will do in our life. Now, I guess I should stop and say, do you get what I'm, I'm saying and you agree with me at that point? 
Because I know that there are things that, like our mind says, oh, what about this and what about that? Yes, look, we do have a responsibility, don't we, with the way we live. But what I'm saying is it's not about trying to fix ourselves or make ourselves better because we just can't do that. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came because we couldn't do it ourselves. Remember that old song, I had a debt I could not pay? How does it, what's the first line? Is that the first line? He paid a debt. That's it. I thought that wasn't the first line. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone just to wash my sins away. Now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. And that should give you a bit of an indication. Amazing Grace the whole day long. His unearned favour, amazing grace the whole day long. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. And so in a sense, we couldn't do it ourselves. We couldn't fix ourselves. We still can't really, you know, in a sense, fix ourselves, change ourselves. But what we can do is we can understand his power in us and we can understand what he wants to do in us and we can understand his intentions for us. You know, that first story um, that uh, we, we got today from the beginning of Genesis, it always impacts me because what the enemy, right from the beginning of time, he wanted to challenge, and I've shared on this before, so I'll be quick with it, but, but you know, right from that beginning discussion between the serpent and Eve, there was this challenge to, is what God says reliable? But then I think the second part of it is, is God's intentions for us, uh, you know, reliable and trustworthy? So yeah, okay, his word, do we trust his word? But actually, do we trust his intentions? Whatever things look like, do we know that God always has his intentions for us for good? And the enemy, right from the beginning of time, wanted to challenge those two things, God's word and the reliability of it, and God's intention. And I love the way that, that whatever that translation, that story book or whatever put it, because it really put it in a clear way. It says, you know, oh, maybe God doesn't, really want me to be happy, you know? Now, I know it's deeper than that, but that, that's the way it was. Am I got it right, Hillary? I was listening, wasn't I? But see, I, does God really want us to be happy? And I was, I'm sitting there listening, I'm thinking, it just resonates with me so much because doesn't that happen sometimes? You're going through a difficult time or something's happening and you're thinking, I mean, I don't think any more, well, what's God's intentions for me? But I feel like I've got to stop and reaffirm. Hey, you know what? I'm not listening to that because I know that God's intentions are good for me. I don't fully understand what's happened. I don't fully understand why this thing is happening. But what I know is this, that God's intentions for me are always trustworthy and therefore his word is always trustworthy. Is that right? So what happens is he wants to, it's not up to us to try and work on ourselves and improve ourselves, the whole self-improvement thing. But what it is up to us is to make room for him to do what only he can do. So I'll turn to Romans 12. I've given you a, a pretty good introduction anyway to what the first few verses talk about. But this chapter has is, is just kind of resonated with me at this time of the year. And I feel like maybe, particularly the first part of the year, I'm going to let it speak to me personally. And, and I think it'll come through a little bit perhaps in... Um, uh, in just my own, my own preaching, you know, as I think about what he wants to say at this time. But it starts off with a pretty challenging and pretty strong couple of verses that are probably familiar to most of you. So this is Romans 12, and just says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. Now the fact that it says therefore, uh, everyone, anyone remember Tony Smith, one of our, just one of our old preachers used to come and do our summer Bible schools, and just a really nice Dutch guy, 
who had, had a nice accent, I thought, too. But he, but he just opened the word in a simple way for us, and I got to really love and appreciate Tony, uh, Tony Smith. And so Tony used to always say, I can hear him saying, he says, when there's a therefore, you have to ask yourself what it's there for. All right? And so it means that he's referring in some way to what's been written beforehand. Okay? So really the beginning of the book of Romans, and I think, did you guys do a bit of a series? I know you've done one on Acts last year, but did you do a bit of a series on Romans or not? No, okay. So, uh, uh, so anyway, the book of Romans, if you look at the beginning of it, it's just Paul unpacking all that Christ has done for us, what he's done for us, who we are in Christ, you know, what he's done for us and in us and who he says we are. And so it really establishes our identity, you know, our identity in Christ. And just the grace of God is there. Um, and so through those early chapters. And so he gets to this point now and he's beginning to challenge about how we live our life and what we do with our life. But it's in the context of what Christ has already done. Okay? So he says, I beseech you, therefore, in view of what I've already taught you and told you in this letter so far, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, it's kind of asking a lot, isn't it? It's asking us to just lay our life down as a sacrifice. But really what he's saying is, if you think about what I've already written to you, then it actually is a reasonable thing to suggest that we might lay our life down. And the reason that is, is because, um, because if we look at what he's already done for us, then we can trust him with what he has in store for us. It's a little bit what I was saying. We can trust his intentions. We can trust his working in us. He will work in us. He's working in us. And so when we, when we think about what he's done, we think about who he says we are, when we think about what his plans and purposes are for us, what his intentions and desires are for us, when you think about that, it actually becomes a reasonable thing that we might be asked to lay down our life for him, to actually trust him with our whole being. And so here it says, offer your bodies. If you look at the proper translation, it says it's not just your physical body, it's really meaning your whole person. So offer your whole person. So I beseech you. I mean, that's a fairly strong compulsion. He's saying, I really cry out to you. I ask you to really think about this. I ask you to consider that you might just come to this place where you decide that it's a reasonable thing just to offer your whole life to God. That actually it's a sensible thing, not a foolish thing. Now the world would tell you, wouldn't they, that if you kind of talk about that kind of sacrifice, if you talk about releasing your life in that way, then you're just a fool. You shouldn't trust anyone. You should just, you know, hold on to your life and watch out for it and, you know, whatever, and look after yourself because, you know, you're the only one that, you know, all that sort of language, you know what I'm talking about. And so there's this sense of whereby it would seem opposite to what is reasonable to beseech us to lay down our life. But it becomes reasonable when we think about what he's already said God has done for us. Does that make sense? Now, again, there's a translation that talks about, um, I beseech you to, uh, that you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. One translation says that it is, your, um, it is an act of true worship. Or it is not an act, it says it is true worship. To actually offer yourself is true worship. 
If you look up the word in the Greek, and I've got it there on the phone, I had it ready for you, but let's just keep moving along and I can show you after if you want to. But the Greek word there, it's a, the word service, actually comes back and it says it's a word that is to serve out of homage or then it has worship, right? So the worship translation in one of the translations is a correct translation. It's not just doing stuff, but it's actually it's, it's giving our life as an act of service in response to who he is in response to you know, um, our heart being postured to esteem him and honour him. And so it's not just what we do for him, but it's actually our worship for him. All right. So it says it's, this is true worship, to offer your whole self. So part of worship, look, you've heard us say this lots of times, part of worship is what we did today. We came together, we focused priority time. Uh, Steve and Ed sort of led us through some words that help us to express you know, our, our love for him, our appreciation for him, what he's done for us, whatever the songs, you know, talk about. And so we do that. And so really, that's very much our being aware of his presence and responding to his presence. True? But you've heard us say many times that worship is responding to his presence wherever we are. So then, wherever we are, we're aware of his presence and we're responding to him. That's true worship. And that's what this is saying in a way, that really if we offer our whole life, it's, it's true worship. And it's a reasonable thing in the context of when we get to know what God is like, what God has done, how he sees us, what he's said about us, what he's done for us, what he's done in us, then to offer ourselves is actually a safe place to come to. Does that make sense? And so it's saying, hey, offer yourself, but think about it, it's reasonable. Now when you say reasonable, it means that you can, you can look at the reasons why and it will make sense. Um, I often talk about a ready reckoner. There's a verse in the Bible that says, reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God, to God right? And so I think if you're going to reckon something, it means look at the facts, think about it, reason it if you want to, but you're able to reasonably come to this conclusion. By following the process of reason, you can come to this conclusion. I'm thinking I might be making friends with Steve right now because... That's what scientists do, I guess, isn't it? They want to understand reason. They're open to different possibilities if they're good scientists. If they're good scientists, they're not locking into things that may be not yet proven. They might be open to all sorts of avenues, and I think many scientists aren't. But I think scientists truly would be saying, well, let's find a reason, let's explore different ideas and see what's, what really becomes reasonable, what there is reason for. And so a ready reckoner, what it does is, it, it sort of might have the, the parts of the equation that get you to the answer. And so when I first came across this word, my dad used to go over to the cattle sales over at, um, at Wagga. And if anyone's been, who's been there to the cattle sale, uh, to the arena there where they sell the cattle? Yeah, talking to the, some of the wrong people. But anyway, so over there is... Um, so what you do is you just come in and you sit down nice and comfortably and the cattle do the work, right? So, and the agents. So you just sit down there, the buyers are down the front, the sellers are sitting up the back watching the buyers to see if they like them or not, you know, if they pay enough for their cattle, and they just bring in each lot. There's three TV screens up there. One is, you know, the next lot that's coming in, one is the one that they're selling now, and one is the lot that's coming through afterwards. And so what they're doing is, um, you know, they're, they're, they're bidding cents per kilogram, and so it shows up there the average kilogram for the numbers of cattle in your thing. And so then it, it all happens pretty quick, you know. And so my dad's, he wanted a way to work out. If the, if the bid's going up and it's so many cents a kilo, um, 
how many, how can he quickly look and see what, how much that is that they're bringing? You know what I mean? So if you see the cents per kilo and you know the weight, how can you quickly look at how much that is per head? So the first screen will show you, because the bidding hasn't started yet, it'll show you the weight of each one. And so he wanted to be able to sit there, look at the weight of each one, and then have a look as the bidding went up, what the total value, the full value of the animal is. Does that make sense or am I just talking a bunch of agricultural nonsense? But So it's this ready reckoner. How can you quickly reckon? How can you quickly put the information together and come to a conclusion? And so we did this table up for him. You know, we kind of knew roughly the range of the prices at the current time and we knew roughly the range of weights that his cattle that he was taking in were. And so he had this little table in front of him. Now, all of you guys who love your iPads and all that will laugh at this, won't you? But he needed his bit of paper in front of him with these tables on there. And so he looked, and he looked up on the screen, saw the average weight, and so he put his finger there, I'm sure. And then as the bidding went up, he could slide his finger up and he could see what the price was per cow. It was like quickly coming to the result by using the information that determines the result. I think you know where I'm heading, although I'm making it complicated, aren't I? But really the idea is that you, you take reality, you take facts, you take information, and you get to the end result, not just carelessly, not just like that, but you get to a result based on a certain reasoning or rationale. And I, again, I've taken a little while to say that, but here Paul is saying, he's really saying... I beseech you, offer yourself as a living sacrifice because this is going to be the best for you. This is actually going to be reasonable. If you look at the reality of it and you think about what God wants and who God is and who he's made you to be, then what you'll come to the conclusion of, if you look at it honestly and sensibly and reasonably, you'll be able to say, you know what? I actually can offer myself to him and it will bring a good result. And that makes sense of some of the other scriptures. The other day I was talking about Psalm 119 with a few of our guys. In the first two verses in Psalm 119, they talk about blessed is the one. And you know, it kind of says blessed is the one who takes the, the law of God and just totally obeys it. Now you think, well, that's going to restrict your life, isn't it? Like the people think the Bible, it's just a bunch of rules and laws and commands that, you know, restrict your life. But what happens is you come to realise that, you know what, the Bible and all the commands and the, the laws and the instruction in the Bible, the principles of the Bible, if we take a hold of them and we trust them, they actually open our life up. They actually bring joy to us. Those first two verses in Psalm 119 says, blessed is, blessed is. And really, some translations say, joyous is the one, or joyful is the one, who basically you lay down your life and be fully obedient to the laws and the commands of God, you're going to experience joy like no other joy that you could ever experience. Well, hang on a sec, that doesn't make sense. Give your life to someone else and experience joy. What about live for yourself? That's going to give you joy. Just do whatever you want, whenever you want. That's going to give you joy. But reality is shown and reason will show that actually that doesn't work. The way that we're made, the way life works... You just do whatever you want, whenever you want, and you know that can make you sometimes, make you happy maybe for a time. Maybe you have moments of great delight, but in the end, it doesn't fill your life. And it does, it's not the most joyful way to live. You know what I'm saying? I don't know whether you've experienced that, but I certainly have experienced that. And I'm, you know, I'm in my 60s now. I think I'm the oldest one in the room. Is that right? Not looking at anyone. But, um, but you know... When you've lived a little bit, what you come to experience is that you look around at people and you're not judging them, but I see some of my old schoolmates and others, they've just had everything sort of 
that they've ever wanted and they just seem so unhappy sometimes. Now, I'm not saying they don't enjoy what they've got and they don't enjoy moments, but they're empty and they're searching. I've had people come to me in honest moments and say, you know what, I feel like I've got everything I want, but I'm empty inside. There's something about the people. I had one guy say to me one time, but there's something about the people in your church. I've been watching them and, you know, I've got everything. Like, I feel like I've got everything I've ever wanted, but now I just feel like there's something missing in my life. And I, I just appreciate and respect someone who can be that honest, you know, and come and say, you know, it's just not working for me. And I think all of you would have experienced that at different times. And so here he's just saying, you know what, offer yourself. It's the greatest place of joy. It's the greatest place of freedom. It actually is a reasonable thing to do, to give yourself to God. That's how you can make your life just an expression of worship to him. And when you do, there's something beautiful about that. And so I guess I just wanted to, to highlight that. I mean, it goes on to say, don't be conformed to this world. Don't let the world shape you but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can prove. And that word prove just means to to outwork by experimentation. So, you know, you prove by just putting it into practice and seeing that it really works. That's kind of what that means. And so you prove, you, you discover the reality of his perfect, good and perfect and excellent will uh, for your life. And so you just offer yourself. But you know, who does the transforming? That second part talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Is not transforming yourself, but it's knowing that God is at work in us and that he will do the transforming work in us. Offer ourselves, let him do the work, and the result is that actually we come to understand, to experience, sometimes through making mistakes, but through just putting into practice, trusting him, we actually come to experience his good and perfect will for our life. That's a beautiful thing to do. I'll leave that with you. You know, I also just had this, this quick word that I wanted to share with you and I, I thought this, this word came to me. I better hold my Bible because I might have to read it to you. It's in Luke 24. But just this verse, this one little verse. So I've kind of finished the sermon, but I want to just give you a word that was just like a verse that was just ringing for this afternoon and I kind of had this sort of brief dialogue with the Lord and said, is, is that the basis for the message? And I felt like it wasn't the basis for the message, but it was something just to share as a word for you, you know, as I finish up this afternoon. And it's in Luke 24 and it's verse 32. And it would be good to read the whole story to you, but I'm just going to read verse 32 because and maybe we'll revisit the whole passage or you can go home and read the whole passage later. But it's really after um, they've come to the tomb and they've found the tomb is empty and, uh, and so there's a little bit of confusion. They're kind of remembering that that was going to what was going to happen. So they're realizing that there's something that's happened that's fairly consistent with what the prophets had said. But they're walking, you know, on the road to Emmaus and they're having this conversation. So it's a famous conversation, isn't it? And as they're talking, we know Jesus appears, doesn't he, to them? And he, he doesn't reveal who he is. And so they're having this conversation with him. And he preaches them a bit of a sermon to explain why it's, you know, to get perspective on what's happened. And then they get to a place and uh, he's going to move on. They beg him to stay the night. So he stays the night. While they stay the night, they sit at the table, they break bread together. Suddenly the light comes on and they recognize that this is Jesus. And then they say to each other in this verse 32, 24, 32. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? And I think if I try to say, if I try to say too much about it, 
Now, what will happen is I'll probably taint it to what it's meant to be. All right? Can you hear me all right? So what I think, it's just, did not our hearts burn within us is what, what resonates with me. And there are times, you know, we hear a verse. There are times we read a verse. There are times we think about something. And we just kind of feel like there's just something resonating about that. Our hearts are burning within us. And I guess I felt to challenge us on that and say, you know what, as you go into this new year or this new season or whatever, hey, listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. There are times when there's no real, there's no real evidence of something other than the fact that you know your heart's burning within you and there's something about it. You know, there's something about what you're hearing. There's something about what you're reading. There's something about what you're thinking about that, that burns inside your heart somehow. I was thinking how to explain this, and again, I didn't want to add too much of my own thoughts, but what happened was um, I was sitting there and I thought, oh, you know what, there's a message I received um, from someone in our church this week. And, uh, and they just said this, they said, Hi Trev, when I was going over last week's message through the week, a verse jumped out, and I think it will be one of my go-to verses, right? So I thought, you know what, that's a little bit of what I'm talking about. Here's someone who's just heard a message and they just wanted to share. There's a verse that's really stuck with me this week when I've been thinking about it. There's this verse that's really hit home to me. And there are those moments, aren't they? There are those verses. There are those thoughts. There are those things, whether it's our own devotion time, whether it's listening to a preach, whether it's just thinking about verses that we're familiar with and something burns within us that this is what God is saying to me. There's something that God is saying. And I guess I want us to watch out for those times when our heart burns Watch out in a good way for the times when our heart burns within us. Be open for God to begin to, maybe begin to, maybe you're very familiar with this, but if it's a new thing, maybe just begin to see the things that, that cause your heart to, to get the attention of your heart and something burns within you. You know, and so I just, I love that when I hear them say, oh, didn't our heart burn within us? Like that was the reason to now think, ah, this is Jesus. And that made sense. Because when he was talking, when he was sharing the scriptures with us, when we were just walking along, what state were they in? Well, they were a little bit confused. They were a little bit uncertain. They were a little bit trying to understand, maybe a little bit discouraged. Somewhere in the discussion, if you read that whole passage, they said to the guy, this strange guy they were talking to, oh, they just killed Jesus. And we just thought that he was going to be like this. But now what we were expecting is different and now we can't quite put it all together. We can't quite put the jigsaw together. But we know there's something in this, like there's something there that, that, that resonates. And so then afterwards they said, you know, our heart burned within us. Now it makes sense. Because that was the risen Jesus that we were walking with, that was talking with us. So there'll be times, I believe, when, when, when Jesus will just talk with you. Jesus, he'll always be with you. But there'll be times when he'll, something will burn within your heart. And I guess I just want to say, perhaps even right now, we can just say, Lord, we invite you to speak to us. We invite you, if you already do, well, we invite you more than ever to speak to us. We invite you to burn within our hearts at those times when you want to get our attention and we will listen. Some people say to me, how come I never ever hear from God? And I say, well, I don't really understand it too much, but one thing I do understand is that sometimes he'll test the water and if you listen and act, then he'll give you a bit more and he'll give you a bit more. But if you kind of don't listen to the first one, then 
I don't know, I kind of feel sometimes then, well, then he doesn't bother keeping on speaking because you're not really listening, if you know what I mean. He knows our hearts, doesn't he? Where our hearts are receptive, I think he'll speak more. Where our hearts are not listening, I don't think he wastes his words. That might be a bit too black and white, but that's kind of how I feel at times. I think he wants to speak to all of us. I think he loves us all equally that way. But some of us, we just need to fine-tune and, and get used to and learn and be willing and open and say to him, hey, Lord, I just want my heart to be open. I don't know how it's always going to work, Lord, and it might be a bit tricky, but I want you to speak to me. I invite you to speak to me. And then what we do is we look out for those times when we feel like he's speaking to us, when our heart burns within us and we're willing to do something with that. You know, that's a little bit of a life of worship. That's a little bit of like offering our life. When he speaks, we obey it. Our posture is that when you speak, we want to obey. Does that all make sense? If you all nod, I'll finish now. Yeah, cool. That's a good nod. All right. So I'll know, I know I don't have to keep talking and try and make you understand because I know you do understand, right? So anyone want to nod? Nod? Okay, cool. All right. So let me just pray with you. And, um, and I guess I'm going to pray something into what I've been talking about. Vasavi. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Well, Lord, in all of that we've talked about, there's something about the surrendered life. There's something about the surrendered life that scares us a little, but we can see from this passage that it's a safe place. We're not surrendering to a man. We're not surrendering to a culture. We're not surrendering to be shaped by the principles of the world, they're not trustworthy. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not, but they're not trustworthy. But Lord, what we're learning, we're learning is that you have us at heart. You know us better than we know ourselves, And that actually to come to that place, to realise who you are, to realise what you've done, and then come to that place where we can surrender our life to you and say, here we are. We can posture our heart to be ready to obey and respond to both your presence and your words. Because that's a safe place. It's actually a reasonable place. It is actually true worship. Lord, we want to be able to respond to your presence with an open heart. We want to learn to hear your voice. We want to learn to trust your voice. Trust your commands. Trust your word. However you speak, Lord, whether you speak through your word, whether you speak through our thoughts, whether you speak through our, our times of meditation on your word, whether you speak through good conversation over coffee with a brother or sister that, that we're just sharing together and something is something you want to say to our hearts. And in that conversation, just like on the road to Emmaus, in that conversation, something can burn within our hearts and we know it's not just a friend speaking, but it's you speaking. I pray, Lord, we'll experience that, that maybe that will be the, the, the area of growth this year. That will be the area of experiencing the joy of just walking with you and knowing your presence, knowing uh, your leading and your direction much more. Help us not to be frightened or to put off the idea of being led by the Holy Spirit. Help us not to look back at the past and say, oh, we've tried that before. But help us, Lord, in this new day, in this fresh season, to discover the joy of hearing from you, of obeying you, of loving your words, of trusting your word, to be truly led by the Holy Spirit.
You say in your word that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the mature sons. They are the ones who reflect the character of their father. Lord, that, we love that idea. We love that we might be ones who are mature sons. We love that we might be ones that reflect your character. That people might see something of you in us as we live our life. Hear something of you in our words. See something of you in our decisions. See something of you in the way that we handle trouble and difficulty and challenge. Lord, I pray that for my dear brothers and sisters here in Coolerman. Lord, I'd love it for just everyone that we're connected with in our circle of churches. Lord, here we just thank you, Father, for just coming into that place more and more to discover the reality of that, to encourage each other in that, Lord. I pray for that. What a great quest. And Lord, if there be any hindrances, maybe things that have happened in the past, things that have been said to us, things that we've been taught that are like a stronghold that hold us back, Lord, we're open to just letting you just shift that. Lord, bring us to that place where we know the truth of who you are and what you've done. And that, based upon that, Lord, we're able to offer ourselves and experience true worship. Thank you, Lord. We love you today. We thank you that you love us so deeply, so richly, that your intentions are only good. In Jesus' name, amen.